Welcome to our podcast, Regulation Matters, a clear conversation. I'm your host, Vine Dempsey. Today, we're bringing you a special episode of the Clear Podcast, talking about information and resources related to the COVID-19 emergency. You know, this is a very challenging time for everyone, especially as we respond to this global health emergency, dealing with it on, you know, our personal level, as well as dealing with it as an employer or employee, uh, and dealing with the implications of our regulatory organizations, our, our licensees, and the public we serve. So it's very important that we talk about it. CLEAR is working to bring together the regulatory community to share resources and information about the regulatory response to COVID-19. So today, uh, I'm very happy to be joined by some of my fellow CLEARED board members. Um, I have uh, the CLEAR president, um, Kim Eiskoff, and as well as president-elect Jenny Hanharan, and uh, CLEAR's executive director, Adam Parfit. So uh, thank you all for, for being with me here today. Thank you, Lon. Thank you, Lon. Absolutely. And also, thank you for our listeners for joining us. Today, we want to highlight some of the resources that CLEAR has put together and resources that CLEAR members have shared. And I'd like to start with asking each of you kind of what resources you've found most helpful. You know, for us here in the States and, and for me in North Carolina, it's been particularly helpful to have, you know, access to the Department of Health and Human Services for a lot of the information there, as well as our Center for Disease Control or the CDC, um, and obviously OSHA is another thing that I've found very very helpful. But uh, let me start with Kim. Um, how about on, on your end? Thanks, Lyne. So um, from Australia, you know, a big island a long way from other people, uh, what's really helpful for us is to be able to connect with our regulatory colleagues around the world. So um, of the resources that CLEAR has, has shared, I really love the webinar recording, um, and not just because I was part of it, um, but because it was actually a fantastic way to feel really connected with other regulators um, and to really see that we're all facing the same challenge at this time. Um, as a health profession regulator working with the Australian Health uh, Professions Regulator, it's absolutely fantastic to hear directly from others about what they're doing to keep this essential service functioning. So um, I was really interested to hear about the business continuity plans and how they're working for regulators who are continuing to provide such an essential service. Um, it's also been really fascinating to understand how permissive our regulatory legislation can be in a crisis. Uh, and I'm so impressed by how regulators around the world are demonstrating their regulatory craft. So doing work to ensure as many safe and competent practitioners are supporting the response to COVID-19 without losing sight of our uh, primary public protection purpose. Thank you. Uh, how about you, Jenny? Um, I've been, uh, well, we're, I'm, I'm really aware of the WHO information. I think that's been most useful. Uh, and also the learning that we have from other places who've been ahead of us. So I think looking at China, uh, looking at the, the issues in Italy as well, we have a daily update from our public health people and as they're progressing and changing. So that's been very helpful for us. I would also be in regular contact with my Department of Health. Um, we've actually had to get legislation amendments made, uh, which is quite difficult when you have a temporary government in place. Um, and we, I've also been obviously in touching with the, the, the providers of, of the health care services, looking at what they're requiring and looking at what we can do. And I, again, like Kim, I would be saying, it's been really, really interesting to look at what we can move on to try and uh, ensure that we have more health uh, re professionals ready to go, um, but also, I think, being aware of where you, you have to stop the line. So I think it's that very fine balance of being 
um, able to work very closely to make sure you have safe practitioners who can go out and you do not lose sight of your public protection role. Um, so, for example, we have a lot, we're looking at restoration of people who've previously been on the registry who want to come back in, looking at the impact on students. So all of those are very useful. And I've certainly been keeping an eye on what other regulators have been doing, um, my colleagues in Australia and HCPC in the UK. Um, and I think also looking at webinars and, and issues coming through uh, at CLEAR, I think this is where CLEAR is shining because it's dealing with particular issues for regulators. Absolutely. Um, Adam, your response? Certainly, Lang. Um, I think given the speed with which the crisis is unfolding and the way in which each new day seems to bring new pressures and questions, it's been really encouraging to see so much information shared really immediately uh, and with immediacy mm -hmm. through the Communities by CLEAR resource. Um, that's the online forum, and you can receive those questions and the responses either in real time or via a daily digest. And recently we've had questions about fingerprint requirements being relaxed, business continuity plans being shared and circulated, and most recently shortened clinical experience requirements. I think in addition to that, it's been really interesting to look at the blog at clear.blogs.com where we share the headlines from across the regulatory community. And we can see a fairly consistent approach from regulators right across the, the international community around easing the path to those returning to practice, but also for those entering practice for the first time. And just being mindful about reducing some of the costs and some of the ongoing CPD or continuing competence requirements as well. So I think both of those have been particularly useful. Right. I think I've gotten something from the American Heart Association, at least on the healthcare side, of of them um, allowing expirations to be extended for like CPR and, and, American, and advanced cardiac life support. Um, you know, because those are things that maybe people are not necessarily thinking about immediately, but you know, a, a lot of times in healthcare are required things. So it's it's great that 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 so many people are taking an active role in, in trying to uh, make this accessible and, and, and get people to where they need to be. Uh, let me ask you this, Adam. I, I know recently that CLEAR developed a COVID-19 survey for regulators. Um, can you share with us any of the feedback that we received from CLEAR members about those resources and maybe what has helped them? Certainly, and I think again, it's going back to this theme of, of staying connected with one another. Um, feeling updated in this very fast-moving crisis and learning from peers in other organizations. So the bi-weekly COVID-19 focused webinars are frequently cited by members as being useful. And this, as I said before, the opportunity to share up-to-date information via communities is really very much appreciated. When the sands are shifting so rapidly, that's particularly mm -hmm. important. And I think we're also just getting a taste of, of the hunger, really, for once the crisis is over, to share some of the learnings and some of the data that will be generated too, um, so that we can all learn from this experience as well. So I guess how 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 will you guys be doing that? As far as uh, that, I mean, obviously it's it's great that we're 
you know, we have our community in clear and, and that they're willing to share these resources. Um, so I guess what are we going to be doing with a lot of these responses to surveys? How are we going to get that out? Certainly the, the survey results themselves will be shared, but we're also using the requests contained in the data to guide many of our efforts. So those inform some of the information requests that are actually being made via the community's resource that I've mentioned, um, but also helping shape some of the webinars and ensuring that the information that CLEAR is providing is really responsive to the needs of the regulator as they've been stated. We've also got a dedicated resource page on the COVID-19 crisis and some resources for regulators on CLEAR's website at clearhq.org. And that will be updated on an ongoing basis as new resources become available. Oh, that's fabulous. I know that's going to be a very valuable resource for, for our CLEAR members. You know, and I know uh, we've also had a couple of members uh, with webinars that have highlighted the regulatory responses to COVID-19. Um, from what I understand, those reach registration capacity really quick, um, which is great. Um, but I guess now those things, those recordings are available online. I know, Kim and Jenny, you guys were among some of the presenters for these webinars. Um, so first, I want to thank you for your involvement there. I think it's always important, especially when we have leaders from our organization that are taking part in these things. But I guess what types of, of regulatory responses were highlighted during the webinars? Let's start with Kim first, um, if you would. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, as I said earlier, I really love the webinar format, and we um, were able to deal with lots of questions and answers um, during the webinar, which uh, really showed how engaged people were and how thirsty people were to share information with each other, which is fantastic. Um, in the webinar that I was part of, we were able to share some early information about how we're actually keeping our own regulatory organisations running um, in these changed circumstances. So um, we spoke about our business continuity plans, the sorts of things that we are needing to do to enable people to work from home, um, to enable applicants and registrants to interact with us remotely, um, since many of our offices uh, at that time were starting to close and now I think many more uh, will be operating entirely remotely. Uh, we also talked quite a bit about our experiences of working with government and I think particularly because in the webinar I was part of, we were all involved in health professional regulation in one way or another. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion in the webinar about uh, working with governments in supporting <clears throat> the surge workforce capacity that we need everywhere um, to respond to this crisis. Uh, we talked about the different approaches to um, the sorts of temporary exemptions or policies to aid mobility in the healthcare workforce uh, so that people can get to uh, providing healthcare wherever it's most required. The approaches that regulators are taking to make sure that practitioners stay informed, so what kind of outreach and guidance uh, is being provided for practitioners. Um, especially for providing services safely um, during this really challenging um, set of circumstances. Um, I thought the other thing in the webinar that was really important was recognising that this COVID-19 crisis will eventually pass and then there'll be new challenges for regulators. So 
we spent very little time, but I think there's opportunity to do a bit more to think about what's the future going to look like for regulation? What is the impact going to be on the future workforce? Uh, and I know um, we started to have some conversations about how current students in our regulated professions are impacted by limits on training places and things like that. So um, there's lots of great information in the webinar about how people have responded to this point in time and I think some clues about some of the conversations we'll need to be having in the near future. Excellent, thank you. Um, Jenny, did you see similar things highlighted during the second webinar? Yeah, I think again we had um, Lise uh, Betridge from the Ontario College of Social Work and Social Services Workers and Peggy Benson from Alabama Nursing and myself and uh, some of the issues that came up were about crisis communications, uh, how critical it is in getting your communications right, looking at the, the, the varying mess that needs to go to the stakeholders um, and I think that would include government, um, looking at making sure that you're, um, you know, keeping up to date with what is happening and make sure you're moving with them, being sure, being sure that your registrants are being kept up to date about what is happening as well and how you go about that. And I think one of the things was obviously taking questions that people were raising, using them for frequently asked questions uh, and really looking at supporting registrants to provide work to keep them safe from the public. Um, I think core regulatory operations, again, I think like what Kim was saying, but around, you know, now moving to organizations who are some of mostly, including mine, 100% working from home and the impact of that and looking at identifying what are the core things that you must do, what can be delayed uh, and the impact that will have. And I think that would be a future conversation about how we're going to pick ourselves up after this has all gone through, because Obviously, what happens is that you are focusing on the most important things that have to happen then. And for the health and social care regulators, that's going to be getting people on the front line as safely as possible. Uh, looking at your governance, um, what have you been able to maintain? Uh, for us, like quite a number of our board and council members would be over 70 and they're not allowed out at the moment. So we moved to um, a lot of video conferencing and, and, and meetings and that. But looking at the limitations of while, while while video conferencing is good, there are some limitations about what you can discuss and not discuss, and again how you work with that and and that whole fundamental communication. Uh, so governance and then practice support for members uh, or through her registrants. I think that's a really important part. Looking at um, looking at what's essential to them, what's not essential, where they can move to, and what they can work at. And I think uh, Lee Lee did a really good section on that. Uh, I think Peggy Peggy had uh, looked at really at the way the, the state is approaching things, looking at the level one, two, three, and how you're closing your work and moving to tele to telework, um, and then messaging um, again, again very much communication, looking at what you're using your website, face, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and targeting your various audience about managing staff. And I think that was one one of the most critical things is looking at how we treat our staff and what the expectations will be from them about what they can actually do and looking at some of the limitations of working from home and also how you manage with, with temporary staff and, and, and contracts. Um, uh, so again, I think what you'll see is there's quite a mix of um, approaches to it. And I think that's, that's actually one of the major learnings that we would have. Um, I think, and finally, just messaging to key government stakeholders about what you can and cannot do um, and being quite firm on that. So I think that there's, there's quite a lot to, I think that would be of help to people. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, one thing that, that seems to be apparent is the, the value of regulators and, and regulation 
you know, obviously during an unprecedented, you know, crisis or time like this. Um, I guess, what are some ways you're seeing the roles regulators take on um, maybe a heightened relevance and significance and, and regulators really stepping up to be a part of the solution? So, Line, in Australia, I think um, many people will know that uh, APRA is a national health profession regulator for 16 professions across the country. Um, but Australia's government is a federated system. Uh, so one of the things that has been really helpful for us is to be able to take that national perspective. Uh, so we have been working regularly with the key representatives of state government health departments to understand on a national scale what the requirements are in the healthcare uh, surge workforce in particular. Uh, and looking to see as a regulator what we can do to support those overall requirements. So there's been a lot of uh, internal challenge for us to look at our own processes and how we can streamline the uh, assessment process for practitioners seeking to come onto the register or to come back onto the register. And combined with our own move to working remotely, uh, needing to look at our uh, willingness to accept documents electronically, for example, where previously we mm -hmm. may have required hard copy documents or wanted mm -hmm. to test um, wet signatures, etc. So looking at how do we provide uh, necessary safeguards but keep the uh, registration function working. Uh, and then uh, of particular interest for us has been how we could safely uh, move practitioners back onto the active register who mm. have come off that active register in recent times. And I know many healthcare regulators around the world have taken similar approaches. So um, we have had a, a really dedicated team uh, across APRA working on creating what we're referring to as a pandemic response sub-register which is yeah. essentially administratively placing back on our register of practitioners every practitioner in the priority professions of medicine, nursing, midwifery and pharmacy who either moved to non-practicing registration or left the register within the last three years. And for us, that amounts to around 40,000 um, healthcare practitioners. Um, and we've created that sub-register on an opt-out basis, so those practitioners are automatically on that register, but they're not required to return to work and they can opt out of the register at any time without giving us any reason. But it's really about enabling that um, surge workforce capacity and giving the employers in the health sector a level of assurance about practitioners mm -hmm. who were recently in practice and could be safely yeah. transitioned back into the workplace. Um, and I suppose if I continue, really? um, yeah, so essentially we regulate health and social care professions, but I don't regulate nurses or doctors or pharmacists. However, the groups that are really in demand will be radiographers, uh, medical scientists, physiotherapists, um, and a number of the other professions. So what's been interesting has been um, the, the Irish Health Service has put a, a, what they call on call for Ireland. So essentially people volunteering to come back into the services. And what we have to be very careful about is where you know, people can get back onto the register and we actually have legislation am amended which allows us to put a register in place for COVID-19. 
um, and that will be reviewed in the end of July. So that allows us to, to, to allow people to come onto the register who have previously been on. Our challenges where people are applying to get on who have never been on previously, and I, I think we're, we're having a little bit of a battle about that. Um, I'm concerned that there may be rogue practitioners who might be trying very hard to get on and, and really would, would probably cause more damage. The other thing we have to reassure the department and to reassure that the the, um, uh, the employee, the main health service executive, is that uh, there are many professions who may not their own their, their professional role may not be critical at this stage, but they're uh, they can be available to help help the the um, approach, you know, looking at contact tracing, etc. So for me, it's the balancing of that, and I think we've just had to be really careful in how we're managing it. Um, groups like social workers are an interesting group. Uh, one of the things they've been doing is moving ordinary services such as the cancer services out of the public hospital system and moving them into the private health hospital system uh, who would not have a lot of our health and social care professions. So looking at how that's going to work. So again, I think as a, as a, as a regulator of health and social care professions, we have to be very mindful of what we can do, where we can be supportive um, and where we need to set some limits. So. I think that there's been a really uh, a very cooperative approach among the regulators and how we do that. Excellent. Well, while still all maintaining to try to protect the public. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Adam, exactly. how about um, a, a response from you? Certainly. Um, well, I think, as we all know, regulation by its nature tends to be somewhat reactive and it's often criticized for being slow to evolve and adapt. But I think what struck me particularly during this unfolding crisis is the speed with which regulators have worked, uh, but also creatively, as Ginny and Kim have shared, to ensure that the numbers of the retired or the soon-to-be qualified are able to enter or re-enter the workforce quickly so that surge workforce is in place. And there's also um, careful steps being taken, as we've mentioned, to remove barriers to deployment and ensure the financial costs to those returning or entering the workforce are minimized. And I think it's, it's just going to be very interesting to see how many of these initiatives are ev eventually unwound post-crisis and what simply becomes part of the new normal. Right. Well, you know, I think those are all areas where, you know, regulators uh, play a significant role and and they're really going to have an impact as we all face this together. Um, uh, to bring this back to resources for CLEAR members, Adam, um, how can members get in touch with CLEAR to request resources or assistance related specifically to COVID-19? Certainly. So CLEAR's website is always a great starting point. Uh, that's at clearhq.org. And on the website, you'll find resources and all of the relevant contact information for us. We're in the process of rescheduling countless of our training programs, some of which are being moved online. And information about all of this can also be found on the website. But in terms of assistance requests, please feel free to email me. I'm at aparfit at clearhq.org. We've also got a dedicated email address, COVID19info at clearhq.org, or please contact us via our social media channels. Like many of the other organizations and stakeholders, we're working remotely, but we are ready to assist, and we deeply appreciate the network of stakeholders and volunteers that stands behind everything that we do.
Absolutely. I think I think we could all uh, share that sentiment um, uh, for you know everybody that, that that has put in so many countless and tiresome hours. Um, so so thank you. Uh, you know I'm really uh, I'm really happy that we were able to come together um, and and let our clear audience know about these resources. You know we're certainly all facing this global health emergency together. Um, and which is very unique, um, and and I think it's uh, it's great to have these tools and examples from a range of regulatory organizations um, that we can all learn from and adapt to to best fit our organization. So let me just personally thank you uh, all, uh, Kim, Jenny, and Adam, for for speaking with us today. I really appreciate you guys being here today. Thank you, Lyon. Thank you. Thank you, Lyon. And, and if I might just go a step further than just saying thank you, Lyon, as CLEAR's president, uh, I'd just really like to take this opportunity to say thank you to the CLEAR staff uh, who continue to work tirelessly and remotely uh, to make sure that these resources are available to regulators across our regulatory community. And thank you to, to CLEAR's members who so willingly share their resources, their information, their expertise. Um, in the interests of kind of safe regulation in all of the uh, professions and occupations that we regulate. Um, I feel really privileged to be a part of this community and uh, find the sharing to be just um, infinitely beneficial. So thanks to everyone for that. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate that. Uh, that uh, I share those sentiments exactly. Um, it's. Uh, Amazing to be a part of this organization. I'm, I'm so fortunate to be uh, working with all of you all. Um, thank you also to our listeners for joining us today. Um, we really hope that this information has been helpful to you. Um, and as the situation continues to evolve, please know that CLEAR will continue to be a resource for you and provide a forum for important information sharing during this challenging time. CLEAR also wants to continue providing you with the resources that you need for all aspects of your regulatory work. You know, CLEAR is working hard to reschedule the training programs, uh, as well as moving to online and virtual offerings where possible to continue providing that important regulatory training. You know, we'll be back with our regular scheduled episodes of Regulation Matters, a CLEAR conversation on the second Tuesday of each month. Uh, CLEAR's website, as, as Adam mentioned earlier, at www.clearhq.org. Uh, remains a resource for your regulatory information and updates about upcoming programming. So again, thank you for your involvement and support of CLEAR. I'm so happy to be a part of this organization. Uh, again, my name is Lyon Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking with you again very soon.